recording. Indeed. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Pack Your Mics, the tech support podcast from the creators of Read It and Weep. It's been a long morning getting this call going, but it seems to be working, so we're just going to go right now. Um, I am your host, Alex, joined in our Los Angeles apartment by Megan. Hello. Happy fall, Megan. Happy fall. Almost. Um, almost. Well, it definitely it is autumnal at Trader Joe's, and that's what matters. Also joining <laughs> us in Northern California, it's Ezra and possibly at some point, Sarah. Hey, guy. Hey, it's happening, kind of. Nice. Um, also joining us from Brooklyn, it's Chris and maybe eventually Tanya. Yeah, here for now. Hold it down. Hold down that fort. And then uh, also in Los Angeles, also enjoying the uh, Trader Joe's Halloween snacks, perhaps, uh, New Sarah and Kyle. The ACs have been adjusted to fall levels of cool. Excellent. Um, so just moderate? Yes. Yeah, how do we do this? Okay, great. Um, we And also, uh, I believe... Uh, all of us are in places where the smoke has largely cleared. Good for so, now. Yeah, we're breathing real air again. It's pretty exciting. Um, before we start talking about today's episode, this is season 10, episode 10 of Top Chef Seattle. Um, this is the battle before the war. And my uh, pre-question, I guess, for the Seattleites, Chris and Sarah, um, ha- how's the bite of Seattle? It's delightful. It's it's a it's a wonderful event. I've been a number of times. Uh, what we saw in Top Chef was an enclosed special Top Chef area that probably people needed tickets to get into. Normally, yeah. it's just sort of an open air, you know, pay either like it's like pay three, five or seven bucks for a small, medium or big serving of food for. Oh, from so it's not an entry overall. You, you it's a per it, you're, you're just it's just a festival where you can come yeah by where all the restaurants basically have their own little stands and they're you know offering stuff and you can go try a lot of different food and and hang out usually in the summer in in seattle center so i don't know i've i've enjoyed that event gone a couple i like times. it i believe the one in oregon you had to pay to get in and then you get free sample size food if you wait forever i like no that the, you like that better I do personally. I, I like I like an all you can eat situation where I don't. Yeah, have you to, like, like somebody well, you, can, you can exploit if you have enough well, time. And I understand yeah. why you like that, but don't you hate waiting in lines for not enough food? Uh, oh, this is a tough one. I would really, I, I, I would, I think I would probably find ways to game it where it's like I am there. Maybe I, like you know, when just when the doors open, you know, yeah, I feel you like I'm yeah. having like dinner food for like for early breakfast, for example. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sure. I um, we went to a a different food festival like this that was ostensibly all you could eat but we spent probably five hours there and ate six bites of food it was almost impossible i've I've been to things like that too because the lines are just too long and then the portions are so small yeah Um, but this you know if if you want more food you can buy more food if you if you're good with smalls get smalls you know sarah have you have you gone I was trying to remember, and I don't think I actually have. Uh, I've been to other events um, around the Seattle Center, and that's how I also flagged that this was a special fancy area. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't think I've ever been. Huh. People speak highly of it, though. Yeah. yeah. I, it, it, it's um, at least a known event. Um, yes, with on, Seattle in it. <laughs> yeah, with Seattle in the name, which is important. And Megan, you've been. Yeah, I don't. It was long enough ago that I don't really remember it, but I do remember that. What was the there. context that you went to Bite of Seattle? I have uh, relatives in Seattle, and so oh, well, we, cool. we were visiting at one point. And they took you to the fest. Yeah. Um, it's so nice. It does seem like so far, 80% of the stuff that's actually Seattle has been in the Seattle center. 
Yeah, is, unfortunately it, so, which is, is it as crucial uh, to your life when you live there as it is to the show. No, no it was crucial no. to the World's Fair in the sixties. But <laughs> yep, and it's it's crucial to field trips to the children's theater productions for oh, sure. Yes, oh my god, so many things. <laughs> One time I saw a production of Cyrano that was all Foley artists. It was actually <laughs> rad. This is not. It was very <laughs> cool. Crazy. I think about it all the time. <laughs> wait, wait, were the Foley? Wait. Okay, hold on a second. So was it all just like weird old men making making sound effects into glass jars that were taking the course of the play? Or was it those old men were playing the actor, were the actors playing the roles? The actors were playing the old men who would be Foley artists in this situation. So the actors were doing their own Foley. Okay. (laughs) Somehow I missed that one. I like the sound of that, especially for kids. Good at all, but I was like, this is wild. And I was really entertained. (laughs) (laughs) So fun. Um, yeah, so this week they call it Seattle Center. It is not the center of town, nor is it the center of uh, much. You Ooh, know? Yeah. Here's the question: What is the true center of Seattle? Yes, good. Oh, exactly. Mm. Either uh, culturally or physically. Is or, it like, that sad tower that Ben Gibbard wrote a song about? Yeah, the Smith Tower. <laughs> you know, it might be somewhere <laughs> geographically near that, just because that's yeah. sort of south, the south part of downtown, and then you got the stadiums and the international district down there that's that's a pretty good center for yeah, the city I I know. There's some, i've had some good times down there yeah. some good stuff in that area um so okay so this is uh before we get to the battle before the war this mm. is the battle before the battle before the war um this is a, uh, a quick fire challenge where the chefs have uh, a mere 15 minutes to make a dish highlighting or featuring ginger Sponsored by <laughs> Canada Dry, Seattle's yeah. favorite ginger ale. Yeah, the real challenge. Named is- California chef is going to give you a Canada Dry sponsored <laughs> thing about an ingredient that isn't particularly endemic to Seattle, one way or the other. <laughs> cool. Can I, can I just the say real how challenge weird- is not talking about how weird it is to cook with soda pop. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is pop absolutely a blender. Challenge. What? It, that's absolutely true. Is like, I'm sure they have rules about not making fun of the spawn con. How did and that's got to be hard. How did soda in a blender not make a blender explode? Right. <laughs> I, 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 on a season where every blender we've seen has exploded, we have a checkoff blender situation, and oh yet the soda did not do it. it maybe that, yeah, the soda was the actual secret ingredient. Not uh, the other blenders didn't have soda in them, and that's why those exploded. Like it's a, it's a, it's oh. a, it's a it's like, oh, thing. it's like, oh wait, no, that makes sense because that's like you do drink ginger ale when you have a stomach ache, right? It calms the blender. Yeah. Also, and what is the blender but the stomach of uh-huh. your body? It turns. Uh, I, also, I just I want to say like. <laughs> On the record, it's really weird that we call like this like liquid beverage Canada Dry when clearly it should be Canada Wet. It's right? the wettest. I know. It's so. It should, uh, Canada Dry should be Pop Rocks. Yeah, that it's makes sense. Or just, just ginger, the soda ginger, and rock. Ginger powder. Ground ginger. <laughs> Powdered ginger. Um, it is the wettest dry thing. Uh, Canada Dry. Uh, also, 15 minutes, not a lot of time, but as you mentioned, California Chef, uh, the guest judge today is Wolfgang Puck. And 15 minutes is a perfect challenge for him because if you're eating Wolfgang's food, your flight is about to board. So you're in a hurry. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> you can always bring your yogurt parfait on the plane. That's <laughs> true. Wolf, par, Wolfgang parfait um, straight I on the this plane. Yogurt. <laughs> I have mixed feelings about Wolfgang on this show as well. Um, but I don't know. 15 minutes of ginger is fine. Uh, Brooke did extremely well with her caramelized with ginger squid oh my god <laughs> i hate ginger so much this episode made me ill do oh, oh really, do you really? Wow. i do 
I do. I'm a straight freak. I like, Fascinating. I respect that. You know, I like a lot of things that ginger is typically in, like a lot of cuisines and specific dishes. And if it's a small enough bit of it, I can handle it. But like ginger flavor and ginger smell, like, no, it's like a hard no for my body. Interesting. <laughs> if, if you're like have an upset stomach, like, do you just have to eat every single other food? Because yeah, what I do just, you do? I just on do a plane? saltines. I just do saltines. Spray. Mint can be quite good. Yeah. Mint, nice. yeah. It's like there's, you know, but ginger is like in. I have the same feeling towards ginger that I do is towards like cilantro and anything in the fennel family. It's I was just, just like say I'm sort of jealous actually the, of people who have that cilantro problem because if you don't like cilantro, you get to like talk about how it's genetic. But if you just don't like ginger, people are just going to be mean to you. Maybe that's connected to the same gene. Yeah. It, I, I think know. it should be. I think we should. Whenever you don't like anything, you should say it's genetic and let people try to disprove <laughs> that. Uh, that seems like a, an abuse of cilantro <laughs> privilege. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I am a I'm on I'm in the middle on ginger. I like uh, things that have ginger in them. I like Canada Dry because it doesn't taste particularly like ginger. But the new ginger ales, where they like, we're gonna really punch your throat with ginger. ginger yeah. I can't handle it. We Can had I a ginger you- ale recently that had chili. Was it chili flakes? Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It sounds I, I, like I, the I, opposite I, of refreshing. Uh, uh, burning. <laughs> I would like to be less refreshed than when I started this beverage. Burn, burn freshing. Yeah, burn freshing. Yeah. <laughs> Kill your thirst with fire. Uh, <laughs> I've got a hot ginger ale recommendation. Uh, if wait. anyone has access to Boylan's sodas, yeah. yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. The Boylan's ginger ale is another level. Like it, it's very good. Uh, I like. I, I mean, I do feel like soda has gotten better. I feel like the fact that people are like making interesting ginger or interesting sodas now is great. But I feel like ginger is the one where it's like cool down a little bit. Also, sometimes cola, where they're like, we wanted this to taste like rose water. That's not <laughs> what I was looking for. Um, also good. So Brooke did extremely well. She won immunity, which is way too late, but it's Brooke, so I don't mind. Um, also, Stefan snuck into the top three. And Lizzie, who made watermelon ginger soup with fresh mint, which is not soup. That's a smoothie. That's hey, a smoothie. Hold on, hold on. Do you not like smoothies? I love smoothies. Right, well, I, hey, I, have your smoothie. I'm, I'm on, I, this, is a, this is a Tom Colicchio thing. I like my smoothie to be called a smoothie. If you call it soup, I'm going to be mad. See, this was before Vitality Bowls existed, where people ate their smoothies out of a bowl and still called it a smoothie. So back then, it was soup because it was in a bowl. That's fair. I guess the the bowl does kind of make it soup, but it's just smoothie. It's watermelon, ginger, and mint, and 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 ginger soda poured into a blender. I mean, that's just it's. I mean, sounds delicious. It just doesn't sound like soup. I bet there's stock in there. (laughs) that's how you, yeah for sure that yeah. makes it soup as long as there's some sort of bone water yeah mm. <laughs> um not not as good sheldon's uh wok fried skirt steak um which uh wolfgang said he liked the flavor but could use more sweetness at his initial pass and then a judgment table was like it's like eating pedestrian Chinese food from a cheap restaurant which sounds like what you're admitting is you do like Chinese food so maybe shut up i don't know yeah, I didn't love that comment. I don't know. I wasn't sure. It's was like, I bet if I unpacked this, there'd be something there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm not going to bother, but I, I'm aware. Yeah, yeah, I just nodded it. Um, uh, the other thing that Wolfgang, I, it's again, just really not sure how I feel about Wolfgang, was uh, was it, who, I can't remember who it was towards. Um, 
what's the was it Josh? What's the opposite of overwhelmed? And then Josh said underwhelming, and he said exactly like he he's almost like he makes you insult yourself. <laughs> it's like an IKEA kind of insult where you have to build it yourself. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, like Josh was like underwhelming, and then oh no, that's for me. Like he was like, I did all this work to come up. I I answered your quiz. I solved your riddle, and it's like no, this is a troll riddle. He don't like it. I think it could be whelmed also. It could be an also opposite. You can in Europe. You can just whelm. Mm. Do they do that? Oh my god! It's guys. a it's a reference. Come on. Oh. oh. Ten things I hate about you. Another iconic Seattle property filmed not in Seattle. <laughs> filmed in what? Olympia, Tacoma. 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 It's my Tacoma. mom's high school. Um, oh, she went to stadium. Wow. Yes. That's fun. <laughs> Did she ever play a concert on the roof? No, she was in the band though, so she played a concert at a normal places where you're permitted to be. <laughs> Did she ever have to like take out like one sibling to prom so someone else could take out the other sibling? Was this a common a common thing? I don't know. Her sister is pretty close to her in age, so maybe there were shenanigans. I should ask her. Uh, yeah, you should ask her if she ever did any prank proms. Hmm. That's what I'm curious about. Well, yeah, like know. they start out as a prank. All right, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Before I, love. I truly knew you. All right, yeah, so. that's fair. Well, that's what we got. We got to ask your mom. I don't know if that ever happened. Because what if it starts as a prank prom and at the end you're like, well, <laughs> it's still a prank. I got you. <laughs> so what Shakespearean play did her like plotline? Did her high school? Oh yeah, experience? They yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good question. I don't know. Honestly, I would hope for her sake that it's none of them because they all involve some messed up stuff. <laughs> Most of them don't go well. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, like maybe I'm for her sake. I hope it's one of those where it's like these two guys look the same. So we'll treat them as one person, like one of the silly ones. Two gentlemen of Verona. Yeah. Let's... Well, spoiler alert. The end of that <laughs> play is very problematic. I don't want look, to get into I only, it. <laughs> like half of Shakespeare. I only know from one like single scenes that were used in a montage when I was in middle school. And so I was only in the fun version. Oh. A lot of my stuff ended is like, well, I'm sure this will end up fine. Oh boy. Well, I advise you to either Google it or don't, depending on yeah, how you I'm want. I'm going to live in this world. Yeah, I like your world. <laughs> um, speaking of things that do not end well, we are gearing up for our one of the most disappointing restaurant wars in history. But first, we have to do the pre-restaurant wars challenge. Um, so Brooke got her immunity. Uh, Sheldon and Josh ended up on the bottom. And we moved on to the pre-restaurant wars challenge where the uh, chefs have to somehow convey the idea of their restaurant without a mood board it's a difficult challenge it seems like they will never be able to do it how will you be able to explain the dragon and it's important and it or not the dragon the donkey and its importance to millennials you can't you have no way of doing it instead you just have to serve 200 tiny plates of your food at the bite of seattle and the two winners will become the restaurant war head chefs. It's yeah. weird how all of their restaurants were Shrek themed, though. As a millennial, <laughs> I was just, I was really interested in that. Yeah, we're basically, we we now have a battle between like French Shrek and Filipino Shrek. I like that we're finally getting an elevated uh, Filipino Shrek. I feel like he's been, he's not been highlighted as often in cooking as can, French can Shrek. Can you just imagine that someone picks up our show at this point and they're like, <laughs> I, feel like I don't know well, yeah. if I understand truly why this is a top chef recap. Well, yeah, this is, and this is season 10 technically. It's a rewatch. So you, but if you did it in order, you'd be like, this is a call ahead to seven years from now. <laughs> You're going to be listening to the All-Stars and be like, oh, that was the Shrek joke. Man, these guys really know how to plant a seed. But congratulations um, on your memory also. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this time, uh, despite all of his um, words of wisdom about his 70,000 restaurants, Wolfgang Puck gets uh, 
put on a plane and sent out of there. And instead they bring in judge Danny Meyer, who is Tom Colicchio's money bags. Apparently. Um, if you want to learn more about him, there's a documentary about him called the restaurant tour. And also he wrote a book called setting the table, neither of which I have consumed, but How's I know that doc? he's, I said, I neither of which I've consumed. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I have not. I would love, I would be so great if I was like, man, I know some stuff about this, but I know nothing, yeah. but I do know he's well, got, what I know piles of money. Yeah, is Shake Shack is pretty good. And Gramercy oh, Tra- Tavern Shake is one of my Shack? favorite restaurants in New York. Guy? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know he did Shake Shack. Oh. We prepared for this podcast then by eating Shake Shack yesterday. You did? Good for you. Yeah. Uh, hey. Wait a second. Wait a second. Didn't they steal a bunch of money from the the COVID money the PPP program? Loans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah if you, in fact, oh, if you look at Danny Meyer's Wikipedia, the second line is about the PPP loan controversy. Canceled. Canceled. Is that the one that has great? I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah, you you have been to you've been to Gramercy. That's cool. Yeah, or I've been to the the bar at the front of Gramercy, and they have sure. uh, also a really good chocolate chip cookie. So, yeah. um, I well that now that sold me. Um, is is Shakespeare, Sarah? This is really just between you and I. Is the Shake Shack vegetarian thing? Is that the cheese stuffed mushroom? Yes, and they also have a, a vegan burger too, and both are really good. Uh, and yeah. Um, we don't often have Shake Shack, but we did yesterday because we had a stressful day, and there's one right down the street from us. You and deserve you know it. They're really great. Uh, there's better places to support out there, undoubtedly, during this time. But, well, but their thanks, veggie Danny. options are are perfectly they're like perfectly disgusting and greasy in the way that you want when you really want like fast food. And as a vegetarian, yeah. it's hard to replicate that feeling. It is hard to find so, the feeling of being a little bit mistaken after your meal. Yeah, I couldn't move for 40 minutes. Like, yeah. I had you have that cheese stuffed mushroom and a concrete and you're done. <laughs> I, know, I had a milkshake. I was like, who am I? I am in my 30s. I cannot process dairy. Like, I, I asked if Sarah wanted a milkshake and she said yes. And I was like, you sure? Yeah. <laughs> I did not bully you into this. I just said, do you want one? It was and she a, said, Definitely. an unforced error. And I really, <laughs> I really regretted it. But you know what? Uh, thank you to everyone who brought us that experience yesterday. Yeah, thank you for all the fine people at Shake Shack for giving yeah. us the opportunity for an own goal on a Saturday yeah. <laughs> afternoon. Um, so Danny's going to be judging these restaurant concepts slash dishes. What do you, so what do you guys think of the, like, this is actually pretty similar to the All-Star season we just watched, except for the mood board. But do you like the pre-Restaurant Wars created dish? How do you like that concept setup? I liked it more in the all-star season because i'd like to see a full dish rather than a taster portion i'd rather have a restaurant experience a restaurant style like dish as opposed to something that's just sort of like flavors that evoke the restaurant yeah if you're not going to be serving this in a high school gymnasium it's really takes away from the experience to have to do it that way Mm -hmm. yeah i just thought having more of the stuff around it makes more communicates more yeah i i always feel weird about like the kind of like you get like to become uh one of the the like the leads for restaurant wars because like it just increases your chance of going home so it's such like it feels like such a weird reward you know yep it is weird but it also sort of makes the executive chef role make more sense if you're the one who came up with that's the so true. No, that's a good point because yeah. often uh, you know my my first instinct was to say no this is horrible just get to restaurant wars but you're right it, it adds more logic and sort of this person's the team yeah. leader because 
you know yeah to- it's both it's like their vision of the restaurant and also there's a sense of they've earned it because they yep. won the challenge it's not just like look i'll be executive chef and then everyone's like fine whatever you can go home but like this is like oh we have have to give you a little bit more executive respect mm-hmm what did you guys think of some of these? So let's talk about some of the concepts that we could have gotten that we did not. So the Wait, first you, one that you jumped- guys also didn't want to immediately run to a German Thai restaurant. <laughs> yeah, let's, okay, let's start with let's start with German Thai, where we got this the talking head from Stefan, where he's like, the key to a restaurant is to never lock yourself into a predictable menu. Oh. It should just be called like restaurant, because if you call it a pizza place, you're stuck oh, making ah! pizza. Is, what what an insightful gentleman that he knows he might not want to make pizza next week. So why put that in the name? I think he just doesn't want me in charge next week. And he did a good job of that. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. I mean, it's funny because he said that thing to Tom where he'd been sloppy seconds uh, all the time, which Ooh. has three important things. One, extremely disgusting way to say that, sir. Number two, factually inaccurate. You're n- you've only been number two, I think, once, maybe twice before this. It's not even close. And three, the fact that he thinks that he has been near the top all the time, when in fact, he has been the most middling chef possibly in the history of this show. This season, he is skating. This is a senioritis chef this whole season. Yes. He's taking like tennis and guitar and nothing else. That is how he is passing this time. Well, it's also this guy who thinks like, I'm going to cook the same types of things that I did when I was on five five years ago and it's going to be just as good and he doesn't seem to understand why these young adventure right. chefs brooke and Kristen, are beating Trying him every hard. time when he's yeah. just as good if not better because he did good a while ago i mean also like he was pretty mediocre for the like just it was a it was a, like a sort of a relative uh success on his season like not that he was like an absolute like great uh, and also totally. uh they definitely should design like a tennis guitar uh, so he would only have to take one to class. Oh, so when you like do well at tennis and you pretend to play the guitar, you're playing. It would an actual actually guitar. make music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just have the the middle fi- five strings would actually be guitar strings. Um, you're on board. It's an option. Good, good, yeah. good plan. Um, but yeah, I mean, Stefan is clearly. I mean, he's reusing his weird frozen lollipops from the finale of his prior appearance. Which didn't like work he's the just first sort time. of. Yeah, which they did not like. He sh- I, he's, he's like though. Are these the same? And he said different sticks. That's kind yeah. of funny what uh yeah but 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 bangkok via munich is not a sales pitch i understand particularly also tom when they were eating it said something along the lines of oh yeah you know uh like bangkok via munich yeah i get that great concept and then he like breezed on something else but i was like no 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 tom you can't Wait, just what? act as if this is a thing that is like great what a great obvious idea we all had mm, yeah. i can't imagine what that what that food would taste like. Like, I, I think you can make a case for any type of fusion if the food is good, right? But, like, I just couldn't actually imagine what the food yeah, I guess the concept is like... Yeah, you just dump a pile of sauerkraut on your papaya salad, and it's got, like, this oh, pickle vegetable oh, and pickle oh, vegetable. Honestly, okay, okay! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess cabbage could be a through line somewhere in there. I don't know, but, like... I, but also, is like lost lobster bisque. I could be wrong. Sounds very French in the name. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where are you getting lobsters in Germany? <laughs> it's like, it's Same place you get them in France, my dude. The ocean. <laughs> <laughs> well, does Germany From a have plane. a yeah, yeah, north. Germany they have, a, they have a northern coast. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Okay. I assume, <laughs> yeah, that's one of those where I'm like, I just think well, of it. In the center. Maps of Europe are hard to imagine. I, we can all agree on that. 
Um, I also would say though, I would eat, I would eat uh, German Thai fusion before I would go to a restaurant whose theme is entirely raw. Oh my oh, god! Wow. Yeah. For the ladies oh. of Beverly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> Micah, Micah, oh my, my dude. God. Yeah. And, and and he had said in the in the heads up interview, he said how he had eaten this way and it made a big difference yeah. in his life. And then when he talks to Tom, his reasoning is like, just want those skinny ladies to have something. I don't know if he actually said the more personal thing, but they were like, we would love this if you had a personal connection. And I thought his, yeah. his story was great. I was like, you know what? This is a diet that works for a lot of people and they swear by yeah. it. Like, why not be passionate about it? His food might have still sucked, but I just feel like he maybe gets... I feel like he gets uncomfortable in those types of settings almost. Like I get a vibe from him. Yeah. Is so he like, he wants to be very professional and polished, which I also appreciate, but that means that they don't really have a sense of him like at all. Yeah. I, uh, I, I don't think that that would have made anybody want an indistinct pile of fish, but I, but my, my favorite thing, which Megan said during the show is picturing a restaurant wars where four chefs are, producing raw food for micah like oh my god a full restaurant wars raw like getting together and not cooking for him oh my is just god. such a you have three hours to prep what do you do with the other two hours <laughs> yeah i mean it would be we- it would make it it would make setting up the kitchen a lot easier in that courtyard when you don't have to buy any ovens also oh. what did micah do during this episode i mean i know he cooked stuff but he had kimiko like doing his fish for him so oh. what did he do? I'm not clear on what he did. I think it's weird. I the only thing that was interesting of the commentary was Danny saying like we are the only way we can have good sushi is uh, or good uh, raw fish is is in good sushi. Or, and I was this is before ahead. we got the bowl of chopped up fish. Yeah, before that took off. That's true. I mean, what he said is okay. we already have a context, yeah, a like, okay, culinary yeah. context for you know like sliced raw fish so what are you going to do that's different than that or like has he invented a new paradigm before our eyes no he hasn't yeah not not even a little bit but that would be just the roughest to watch him cook um how do you guys feel about brooke's idea for specifically calling out a religion and not being like them so okay i talk to this one Um, (laughs) yeah let's let's get some more perspective before you just label it as a you know irreligious heresy and um, i mean the name is specifically heretical on purpose uh it's like light playfully heretical but so i i wasn't personally like offended or anything but i was trying to figure out if that's because um it's brooke and i already like trust her and like her like if it was like if stefan had done it for example i think that would have been that would have made me feel negatively uh persecuted yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah um so our bar for persecution is a little higher chris (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) yeah when when it first happened i just kind of was going with the flow and like all right that's kind of a fun like i would eat there but then i was like okay she's not jewish if it weren't someone i like I thought she wasn't. Uh, in our in all of our, our uh, Googlings, I don't think we turned up anything that indicated. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I, I mean, I don't know what this means. Maybe I need to do some self reflection. But if we, if she was Jewish, then I would a hundred percent be like, yeah, that's great. I'm totally yeah, fine. Yeah, hilarious if she was Jewish for sure. 
I, I think that would be a big swing. So it would be a big difference. I mean, I I guess I was setting it up a little aggressively on purpose, but I don't know that any. it didn't seem like anybody was super upset about it. But it is just the more you think about it, the weirder it is that your one thing is doing stuff that bothers a specific religious group. Um, like if you if she if her restaurant was called like, hey, we hate Catholics. And then it was like on Fridays, it's only meat like that would be weird. Right. Yeah. Is there anything to say to the fact that, like, all right, I'm trying not to put my foot, like, firmly. <laughs> well, it's like, I, I sort of saw it, too, as, like, if you try to do an Italian restaurant with Asian-style ingredients. Like, it seemed like that same sort of binary of, like, do a style of food, but break every rule. Yeah. And but that, it is religion. Yeah. <laughs> but also, yeah. I mean, I there is a whole... Um, sect or community of Jews um, that are exactly what she's talking about. We are culturally Jewish and we like en- enjoy and appreciate culturally Jewish food, but we pay no attention to kosher laws. And right. and it's kind of fun to be like, oh, let's make this Jewish, culturally Jewish thing with bacon. And, you know, it's, it's playful right. and it's fun, but that's because it's, it's not offensive to us. But you put ketchup on a latke and Ezra will never talk to you again. <laughs> we did talk about this. Yeah. Well, that's, um. that's, cult- that's a cultural violation. <laughs> it's not, you, you think that the Torah would have been fine with it if they'd had ketchup at the time? <laughs> you know, it depends. Uh, uh, no, but I, I think it was a weird thing where it's like, look, I want to make this thing. And kind of, I think it's like the, this is, it's like a weird kind of appropriation where it's like, I'm going to see if I can grab this, but also like, it's mine to sort of take as I wish. And like, it didn't like exactly, it was sort of like, I was like the, huh, it just, it just got to me to a hunt. It wasn't like a up in arms things, uh, but uh, it was just like I a, did. I did find um, a there. There was a New York restaurant that I found when I was looking this up, and I should have written it down. But that was um, essentially this concept uh, by Jewish chefs. Yeah. Um, and so it's also so. I, yeah, I don't. I don't assume that that would be. It, it, there was not a protest outside of it every day, as far as I could tell. In I mean, fact, I think, I, think I remember reading that they were like expecting controversy and then it didn't happen. And they were like, well, we got some good press, but people just like the food. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's like if you have ownership over like this, like cultural tradition and story, it's kind of yours to like take how you want. Uh, like if you, it's, it's sort of like like random thing. I was trying to think like, would this hit if it was say like an unhalal thing, right? If she has like no connection to that, would that feel? <sighs> is that, is like, does that like, it's like, uh, like, I guess yeah. the kind of thing is like, like, is it just like you're wondering? Yeah, I think that the, I didn't understand really the story behind it, which is like, I'm going to take the core part of this and then like, uh, you know, mess it up because I can. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like there's probably a story she could have told where it would have made sense as well. I think that's a good way to say it. And I I think that um, a place that is cooking culturally Jewish food is going to be almost certainly delicious. So I like that part of the concept. Um, although I don't know. Do you, how does matzo ball soup with duck confit sound to you? Probably. If you like duck, I think that would probably be very good. Yeah. I mean, like, there's not a, like a, like, yeah. I mean, like, so the main part of, uh, to bind matzo balls would be like a chicken, uh, chicken fat smalts. And like, you could have, uh, oh, okay. And so, like, you could just swapping out a different, uh, like poultry fat. That, that's cool. That doesn't like seem like that breaks, especially. Um, like, I, I like plays on it. Uh, my, uh, uh, my cousin actually has like a, like a kind of like pop up concept that is, uh, called smalts. It's like kind of basically elevated, uh, uh, Jewish food, uh, like in the, like it's happening in San Francisco now. And like, that's like, kind of taking those traditional things and trying to like how do you like how do you play with them basically can you um and i'm not sure she pays attention to kosher rules or not but it's right. not part of her yeah. narrative about it either way right 
But what um, if the ball is like really bad? Yeah, that's, 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 that's offensive that's to that's an gentleman or people. That is you know? very offensive. Yeah. Jo- joining us from Brooklyn, it's Tanya. Um, what a just great time. Mm-hmm. Hi guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, just hearing people talk about the matzo ball was enough to bring you in. Um, what do you What do you think about just to wrap up on the concepts? Uh, so we got Josie's uh, home three hundred five with classic Miami Cuban flavors. Um, Sorry. The most important part of that to me was that she said you just take the restaurant, put it anywhere, and change the area code. <sighs> so is it always Miami? So if you put it in, you know, if you put it in Nevada, would it be home 702 and then it would be Cuban food? Or would it be like classic Nevada cooking? Classic oh, Nevada cooking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh, could not tell you. I'm trying. I was trying to think of something. The only thing I, uh, I'm sure if like it was like Top Chef Nevada, um, not not Vegas. We did that, but if it was like Top Chef Northern Nevada, there is like one place that does mountain goat balls and calls them mountain oysters. Mm. So it might be mountain oysters. I've never mm. heard of anyone who's gone to that festival, but I've heard that it exists. Uh, this is anyway. just confusing because like you if if that's your concept then why didn't you do home 206 which is the seattle area you did home 305 right then don't you just move home 305 <laughs> anywhere and you don't yeah, right. change the area code this, and then it just represents yes. miami anywhere yes. thank you like, this is exactly what i was trying to get across about, yes it doesn't make any sense to me um also there's so many places restaurants and bars called home already um mm-hmm. uh, the seo is just gonna not work at all yeah it's not gonna work at all it's a terrible idea um also uh, f- uh it wouldn't help uh, it's sort of like the matzo ball situation which is like okay but even if you bought into it you can't fork this pork so what's the point mm. Mm. um lizzie went with the um obscure northeastern italian food that is not as uh well known that has a lot more austrian hungarian and croatian influences which seems like it could have been good if the food was good but always helps not. yeah it super helps okay and then to get to our top so um uh bridesmaid josh uh went with bistro bistro george which is named for his dad who liked things steak and potatoes he liked it straight ahead and so this restaurant would be steak and potatoes and they liked it but not enough um so and then winning i assume that we feel like uh kristen and sheldon's were the even if we were just picking without the food just the straight concepts two of the most interesting concepts yep yeah i agree (laughs) <laughs> i don't know no, i mean one of those things like filipino food is awesome but you know sort of the the word on the street or kind of the the notion about filipino food at least in most cities is you can't get it at a restaurant is that right. you know it's it's more of a home cooking kind of thing but a cuisine that has a very unique cultural identity and you know has a lot to say and is delicious so you know bringing that to the forefront is awesome i yeah. love filipino food uh and Kristen's like you know what take a french take on french food and no it's not casual screw you <laughs> you know like or a suit no. if you want to hang out with me no look at me and look at what i'm doing <laughs> sit down you know okay i fun. really liked it yeah, yeah. Um, that was super fun um the padma tried to do a head fake with the winners where she looked like she was super sad and then was like surprise you win and it seemed like they were not no one's fooled surprised. when you yeah, call no. up Kristen kish you know right yeah yeah you're not with micah and josie people assume that they are not in the bottom uh <laughs> that was the worst head fake um okay so uh yeah so we have our we have our winners of course with um um kish and sheldon um i had been actually because i remember sheldon being amazing and then this season so far he's been not 
crushing it all the time. This is is this his breakout moment? Is that what's happening? Yes. Yeah. So I mean, this is a rewatch. I don't want to spoil too many things, but Restaurant Wars goes well for yes, you know kind does. of highlighting Sheldon and and sort of the some of the flavors he's really great at developing. Yeah. And this is kind of where, and especially I think he responded well under pressure. Not uh, you yeah. know, and and so I think this is where he starts to rise above the middle of the pack. Yeah, which is great because he's just such a nice seaman. Oh, dude. he's wonderful. It's so yeah. sweet. Um. Okay. So uh, beat the birthday curse too. That's true. That's so true. He wanted his birthday, just like yeah. you and me, Chris. Oh. Um, uh, but he, uh, okay, so Sheldon uh, and Kristen are the winners. They both get 10 grand, whew, um, which was 45 total for Kristen. But Sheldon got 20, 10 on his birthday, which is pretty nice. Um, yeah. But then they have to do this weird thing, you guys. Oh, boy. Where they have to pick their teams not knowing who's being eliminated. So one of them, for no particular reason gets two chefs instead of three um so what do you think of the selection what do you think of this setup and the selection process for the well, future it's restaurant totally wars? arbitrary right it's like how good of a chef do you think this is like right it's not just like yeah i guess you also had to have paid attention to their food at bite of seattle a little bit or how they've been cooking with you like the, you know, the whole season and i think that's yeah that's cool. true yeah and Kristen gets first pick and brooke gets picked first i mean it's not this isn't hard you know? I actually think that probably the, so the order I believe was Brooke, Josh, Lizzie, Stefan, Josie, Micah, right? Yes, that's right. Because it turned um, out in such a way where it seemed like Kristen was going to pick Stefan, and then she yes. ended up out of everything, like between Micah and Josie, right? She was like, "I guess I'll do Josie." Well, if the three people remaining are Stefan, Micah, and Josie. How did she think Stefan was going to be left in the next round? My read of that, this is maybe two, this is maybe like three-dimensional chess, but my feeling was she went darn when Stefan got picked so that she could seem to him that they're still friends because he thinks they're close and she doesn't like him as far as uh, I can tell. I love um, the narrative. <laughs> <laughs> that's my narrative. That's what I'm saying. That's what I, she was pretending for his sake, but was never planning on picking him because she passed him up twice. There's no way. That's true. I forgot about that. She was hoping to get him in the third round. Come on. Yeah, um, she needed a yeah. break. She needed a break from Stefan, don't we all? The only choice that's weird is choosing Josie over Micah, which ended up working out a little bit, kind of, in the sense that she didn't get sent home. But uh, obviously, yeah, I don't know. Micah, you know, he doesn't have as grating of a personality, but except he, he does in his exit interview. He sure does, <laughs> and I think a lot of that can, probably yeah. came through in some of the hanging out with him that they must have done. You know? Oh yeah, that's fair. We, um. Yeah, I mean, Brooke and Lizzie would be my top two picks for sure. So I feel like, it, I mean, it's only just the weirder knowing how the next episode goes because it really shows the power of Josie as an anchor to drag you down. Yes. Why, were they, why are they doing a seven-person restaurant wars anyway? It's a great like, question. Why did they set it up this way? It's really weird. It is a weird choice. I totally agree. Does this have something to do with like the cursed lunch challenge? Where two- yeah, right. Wasn't there? There was. There were two double eliminations. So... Maybe this was supposed to be nine. Hmm. No, I, it wasn't. I mean, this they plan it out. They plan out when restaurant wars based on the number of contestants. So it's not, you this know, was somehow on purpose. This was somehow on purpose. There's and no yet way. again, why this feels like such a weird, bad season of Top such Chef. Such a weird, bad season of Top Chef. They have to and it's their kitchen outside. Like it's punishing. Yeah, it's, it's you weird. Know, I'm on a uh, slightly hot take. I think the, the that badness, that randomness, that like sort of like bad game design is kind of always baked in for Top Chef. Also, um, I don't know. How do you mean? 
Like, like if you count kind of like how many times we've had like sort of like like oh man, I can't believe they're still doing like um, you know, right. still doing immunity or like I can't immunity believe, late in the game. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird challenge. Like it's it's kind of like it's it's like always a kind of like a at least like a quarter of the major decisions I think uh, or or like factors they always have the, the the possibility for this kind of drama and randomness I think and they I think they want that mm. kind of um like it's I think it's it's a I think it's a feature not a bug. And so next season is the Nicholas disaster, right? Yeah. So maybe oh, after that season, they see how wrong it, how wrong it can go. What have we done? And I feel like they've done <laughs> exactly. better. I feel like they've done a little better since then. But I, that I was my feeling wrong. too. I think you're right, as this has been always a part of it, and that the last few seasons it's been less, and that's been great. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's sort of like they've they've been allowed to keep doing this long enough that they're finally working out all the kinks. <laughs> it's like getting, you know, because like the these challenges, and I'm sure you guys touched on this with the ginger situation and the quick fire. Like, they are so indicative to me that Bravo played around with getting revenue from a bunch of bunch of different places. Yeah. Right? Oh, they brought in all sorts of like maybe it's a sponsor per episode, maybe it's a sponsor arc, maybe there's some like weird sponsorship over here, over here, over here. And at a certain point, they're like, or we just get a big chunk of money from water and like yeah. do what we want <laughs> with the food. Right? Just take our like, watered down money and run. Yeah, we just go with Italian bubbles and call it a day. Like there's there's a point at which I think you you clarify how you want to partner, what you want to offer people, what your value add is, and you really you make your, you know, you make your play, but you have to have been doing it long enough and made enough super weird seasons and super weird cooking challenges and decisions where that's possible and they just have gotten to an age where things are pretty sweet. I think it's a really good summary of it. And I think that that feeling in the sponsorships is also a feeling that they had in the game design that they felt like, oh, the thing people expect from us is a lobster on a really fast conveyor belt. And then as this, you know, as they got into their mid teens, they were like, actually, what people like is good cooking. Yes. And Mm -hmm. they've chilled on some of the nonsense. And and I but I do agree with what you're saying is that this has been part of the show for longer than we want to admit that like if you were to take you could if you were to take the time you could do a super cut of our seven seasons of this show where we're complaining about some element of randomness or some terrible personalities that are outshining our good personalities that we want to actually see that probably our frustration is between 20 and 40 percent as a resting amount like we're just always that kind of irritated and there's just the, the good moments are good enough that we get through it. Yeah, it feels kind of, it just kind of reminded me of like Game of Thrones, basically, where it's like, oh, I think the frustration is actually, that's just, that's just part of it. That's like, that's why we are watching. Partially, <laughs> we're not always, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like a, such a good comparison. It's because it's, it's a, it's a intermittent reward system, essentially, where it's like, yeah. you don't actually yeah. know what's going to get off. And that's what makes it addictive. Yeah, oh, that's such yeah. a good point. And, and you know, I really just like Game of Thrones, my favorite episodes of Top Chefs are the ones where they sit around a table and talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah, completely agree with you. I would prefer if, you know, if Tom and Danny just sat down and had like a really long discussion about food. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just do that. Thanks. (laughs) Meanwhile, Lizzie is running in the background. I I mean, I think if you were to even just like look back at the winners of the show, I would say maybe 60% are disappointments. Like it's this is one of the rare seasons where things go well. But especially you mentioned Nick Nicholas and I was thinking about Nicholas earlier. um, and man what a like incredible bummer that next season was despite having some of the highlights of the whole series yeah, run. overall a pretty good season i you know? remember loving it except for these huge disappointments all the time and 
yeah, just like looking back at winners, there's so many bad winners too. Yeah. I mean, I, it's just I think it's kind of though like like a lot of the reality stuff. It's like okay, so the the show itself is generally unfair. I think like has that has that flex in it. I think life afterwards is more or less fair. You know? Yeah, we're gonna. I I, I appreciate you bringing that up. We're gonna bring. I'm gonna talk a little more about that in a bit. Um, so let me put that on hold quickly. Let's talk about Last Chance Kitchen. So Micah gets eliminated for his pile of fish. And then has to cook off against CJ, of course, in the battle. Don't cook this. And uh, mostly beef related uh, things uh, where Big Siege pulls out his sixth impressive win with the uh, beef heart tartare over Micah's tartare and Carpaccio in one. Um, Carpaccio? And CJ is also. Carcar? Car- yeah, yeah, Carcar, I think is right. Um, yes. Tarpaccio is also very good. You're right. Um, also, CJ is still kind of a, a dickbag. Yeah. That's one of the three lines for this. Kind of like him, and then sometimes, ugh, so gross. Uh, but anyway, that's his last win. So we wrap up Last Chance Kitchen with that. Uh, all right, some 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 catch ups now. Let's check in with our villain update for season ten. Dun, so I dun, mentioned, dun. I mentioned Stefan's uh, sloppy seconds, which was gross and a lie. Um, also, I think of note Stefan uh, talking about his sous chef's butt. And then Josie is mostly just like slow and a little annoying. Um, but I want to, I have a, another possibility for you that I want to put out here and tell me if you think I'm, you can check for this later, maybe when you're paying attention. I think that the elves are adding her, her laugh in places where she did not laugh. <laughs> I think they're putting extra laughs, robot Josie laughs from the future, ADR, they're ADRing laugh because every time the camera shows her face, even if she's not, laughing it cuts away every time you hear her laugh and i think it's like a musical sting they're it's a using for scream, her. basically yes i feel like they're doing that with her which is a very interesting theory i i thought here uh, up until now that they were cutting away to show not her laugh but everyone's reaction to her laugh yeah there's definitely some of that too i feel like the elves just know what's going to happen in episode 11 and so they're building us up to hate josie before it happens that's my oh, new theory. Yes. Yeah. That's. Yeah. It's so tough because I don't know what you do when it, you're like, I'm excited voice is just so grating. Like what happens? Or like, and I mean, or the reality, which is of course, everyone's deepest fear is that we're, we're all wrestling with some version of this and we just don't know it. Yeah. Like our own voices being grating. Oh yeah, man. Oh man. For sure. I have, I mean, I definitely have an annoying laugh. I get emails about it from the podcast all the time. People email you I to like tell you your laugh. laugh is annoying? I mostly were dad. these people raised in a barn? Why are they mm-hmm. doing this? Mostly my dad. <laughs> I guess oh, being no. raised in a barn is not bad. Also, that's mean. What? <laughs> that's not That's not good parenting. <laughs> no, he just thinks I laugh too close to I the mean, microphone. Oh, uh, all right. I, so is it anyway. like a constructive note that's just become a put down in your heart? Is that? Yes, exactly. Okay. That's exactly well said. Um, but I have had other people mention it before uh, that I laugh too much. Not that it's a specifically annoying sound, but that the me doing it is annoying. Oh, um, but I don't think I've ever laughed when I didn't think something was funny. So there's that. Sure. I mean, there's the part where you want to laugh at your own joke and then you just turn red and swallow a lot of <laughs> air instead. I don't know if everyone's out here doing that, but that's yeah, definitely we, me. I'm familiar. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely think there's some truth to that. Is that like I'm afraid that like if I what was if I was on Top Chef, what thing would they decide was annoying about me and then play clips of? It would be it'd be terrible. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess that's that's where I devolve to whenever we talk about Josie's annoying like personal 
theatrics. I'm just like, oh god, but like, aren't we all doing something? The 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 big thing with Josie for me is that was the uh, Micah barking up the wrong tree thing or whatever from two episodes ago, where he was like, we don't have to call each other butthead, and then she unloaded on him in a way that seemed really unfair. That was the time where I was like, that she's like being mean in an unjustified way. And it makes more sense to be mad at her. The yes. laugh is just like, sorry, some people's laughs suck. And that's just how you're born. Yeah. It's really her like excited yelling voice that drives me over the edge. That's the thing that like, yeah. I, I can't, I cannot abide. And it came out a lot this episode. And then also just like knowing the future. It, it doesn't help. Yes. Also not getting your food done is very frustrating. Like, like this is a timed show and you have people waiting in line, give them your right. food. Well, and then when your strategy to like distract from the fact that your food isn't done is to laugh and yell, it's just, it's bad on bad. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. Stefan's still, I think a worse person. Yes. I yeah, think is my the, villain the update. The butt comment really bummed me out. But comments. Yeah. All of it. All of it. Um, yeah. The same thing CJ did in his thing. It's like, just, when you're talking to a TV camera, don't talk about butts. It's so How easy. Hard is this? It's so easy. Were you born in a barn? Yeah, you know. To... I think people in barns are probably just fine. I, yeah, you know, I this is I don't... this is some internalized like yeah, like Jesus prejudice against rural life that I shouldn't exactly. have brought to the podcast, and I do apologize. Yeah, he was allegedly born in a barn. But what if it was like a Best Western Barn brand hotel? <laughs> oh, yeah, it was like Barn, but it's like capital B, and there's like yeah, a, exactly like a, like a trademark on it. Translations over the years, they're so messy, you know. It's the barn of the patriarchy that we all need to burn down. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, um, it's so easy to not talk about butts. I feel like, and I have not done a ton of TV, but I have managed to never bring up butts. Hmm. You have not been so tempted that you were like wavering on the cliff of butt talking. Oh, oh yeah, no, no. I was every time I'm tempted. It's <laughs> that's the it's the first thing that happens. You shine a camera on me, and my brain goes, "Mention someone's butt," and then I don't. That's the key. That's Whoa. the difference between me and Stefan. Yeah, I just bottle it up inside. Get home, take a pillow, and then just scream about butts into the pillow. <laughs> no, and then no, the no, pillow is like, "Tell me about it." I've been sat on my whole life. Anyway, yeah, all about the butts. It's butt talk for the pillows. All butt talk. <laughs> I appreciate that you yell into a butt pillow about butts, and you don't like go with like a face pillow. No, it doesn't understand. You think think my normal like face face pillow? (laughs) You think my face pillow has ever knows anything about what a butt is? They don't have eyes. Such a good point. All right, Um, and then lastly, in our mini segments from Tall to Trenta, Seattle people, how Seattle was this episode? Well, you know, I, I saw Danny Meyer all the time around Seattle, so that made a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, famed Seattle restaurateur, That's Danny true. Meyer, paired with yeah. Seat- Northwest Cuisine Chef, Wolfgang Puck. <laughs> I mean, it's just hit after hit. Yep. That the, Yeah, the judging continues to be a little bit chaotic, but I will say I'm going to give this a grande because they had Night of Seattle full of yep. people from other Seattle restaurants that were not featured yes. this season, and yes. they went to Wajimaya. They mm-hmm. did. They yes. finally went to Wajimaya. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and they sprayed blender on one of the Canlis brothers, <laughs> and I enjoyed it. Yeah, they ruined his sweater. Dry clean only. That was very funny. He, he took it well. Uh, he was. I yeah, think he, he, was, he was like, "Oh, this have people spray with things all the time." I, I guess <laughs> everywhere I go. What do you want to do? Kitchens, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I bet he was furious. I would be furious if I was him. 
But he like oh yeah cause... beautifully for the camp. You know, he knew it was a mistake. He handled it well. Then I bet he went off screen and was just like rah. Well, was, well yeah, because yeah. you're like you're out and about running an errand. You can't like go home and change your suit your suit because it's covered in soup. It's Plus, covered in bisque. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. covered in bisque, and you're like, I can't tell. Is this German or Thai? What do I even do with it? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The energy of like uh, someone on Succession who would like laugh it off, and then 15 minutes later, like have a bodyguard go like financial right and stefan like a <laughs> sort of energy like yeah absolutely yeah. no no it's no problem buddy no problem have his restaurant closed yeah, yeah like six to eight people just had their whole lives decimated <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i do like that we've had so many exploding blunders i uh, the the i think there was the chefs in the stew room we're talking about the possibility that they have like all the booby trapped blenders yes i enjoy that uh, all Does right. Have a blender, blender explode in in real life? Has this uh, been a happen thing that was happening? Well, it's hot soup. The thing is, they keep yeah. putting really hot stuff in blenders. And any cookbook that's like blend this, it's like okay, if you put this hot thing in the blender, you're gonna die. So just be cautious. Yeah, well, that's, start slow. Well, yeah. and really, yeah. what you do if you're in, you know, if you have like a, a blender situation, you take that little middle bit that comes out, you pop it open a bit so there's a vent, and then yes. you cover it with a towel. So yeah. that there's a vent, but also it's not exploding on you. And, and then, if then you run the blender. Cameronless brother, you aim the vent at him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you still, and then you also have to like start slow and sort of assess risk as you go. Yes. And that's it's, actually it's how the you uncautiousness. Do it. I think is what's getting them in trouble. I it's, think. Yeah, when you're when you're in a hurry and you don't want to be Josie. Yeah. <laughs> I've definitely made a, me- a mess with a blender. I, I'm sure. I've made a mess with everything we own in the kitchen for sure. So I believe He's that. Calm, just, I don't know what <laughs> just Camless brother. And I throw some spaghetti at him. It's just, it's a, it's a, it's a worry. Okay. So let's jump over now and take a dip into the mailbag. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an uh, email, pa- uh, mailbag at packyourmics.com. I got some three quick emails I want to talk about today. First of all, um, I got an email from Bridget, who uh, frequently written into the show um, and is known to the mailbag aficionados as being a person with access to some chemistry equipment, which came in handy uh, because uh, Bridget um, brought our attention to some of the bonus matter from season 10, including Mm. a video from uh, last episode where Padma and the remaining chefs went on a field trip to Bellevue. (gasps) <gasps> to go to Nathan Marvald's modernist cuisine test kitchen. And Whoa. there's a couple interesting things about, are you guys familiar with the, the, Oh yeah. So he wrote, test- he did, he's an ex Microsoft guy and he, uh, took all his tech money and got real into molecular gastronomy. And he mm-hmm. published the handsome, like five volume white, yeah. you know, uh, those are, cookbook set those thing. are a prize later in a later season. Yes, they are. That's right. Those books. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So they go actually eat a meal in his lab. And one of the things they that he serves them is something he calls pea butter, which is where you take peas and you blend them and then you put them in a centrifuge for six hours and it separates into um, pea chaff and pea water and a very thin layer of delicious fatty pea butter. And so um, Bridget sent that along. It's a, a charming video to watch. It's interesting to see them eating in the kitchen. The kitchen is interesting. And it's also interesting because um, Padma is like hanging out and she's like chatting with them as as peers and is like, I feel bad. You guys need a massage. You seem so stressed out. It's very nice. But then also Bridget sent along photos of her 
using laboratory equipment she had access to hey, to uh, make pea butter. Uh-huh. And it's really cool. So I'll put her picture in there and everything. Apparently, it is incredibly delicious. It's not um, great yield, she said. It's like three bags of frozen peas. You get like a little bit of pea butter. Oh, my um, goodness. But the most expensive part is the $7,000 centrifuge you need to use. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mean that as opposed to the three bags of frozen peas? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Mm. Um, super interesting. Also, um, in addition to being into military astronomy, Nathan Marvold is also like the world's biggest patent troll. Yes. I, he's kind of a dick. But um, anyway, that's interesting. And I definitely recommend that video. It's cute and you should watch it. Um, uh, oh, oh, this is a, this is an important one. We got an email from Meredith yesterday who said this. My dog follows Tom's dog on Instagram. Hmm. <laughs> Good okay. start. Good so start. catch up on all the dog goss. Right. So we had some hot dog goss for this episode. Apparently, Tom's dog was in Portland last week. And Meredith says, I can't think of another reason to come to Portland in the middle of a pandemic and a wildfire unless maybe he's scouting for locations. Hashtag wow. fingers crossed. Is there a Top Chef Portland in the future based on this Tom's dog gossip? What do you guys think? Oh, boy. Um, wow. Timing could be better, as noted. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm excited. It, all everything aside, as if we can put everything aside, that would be really great. Yeah, would it be really great? Do we agree with that, Megan? The Portland season. Oh. Oh. Well, yeah. Wait, yeah. why wouldn't it be good? I'm watching how badly they bungle Seattle. Giving them less to work with makes me nervous. Yeah, but they maybe the time. Like they, yeah, they're better at it now. Yeah. That's true. That's true. They're I guess just wa- to all of our put downs. They'll they'll learn. Well, but listen, yeah, I guess <laughs> I guess I'm scared from listening to the way you guys are feeling about Seattle being displayed. That like I will just be so hurt when it, yeah. Portland is like we ate a weird donut with cereal, and then the rest of this is New York chefs in a warehouse somewhere. Well, you know, uh, Seattle. The, the both the show was at a weird time, but Seattle culinarily, you know, kind of was still in a in a state of becoming maybe i don't know i I would argue that that's totally fair i think like we i think in some ways it seemed as though seattle was like quite the place to be but like when you really look at like where they've come in terms of restaurants now like they have not yet popped i don't yeah and so portland now i worry about that a little that it's not quite popped yet too yeah that it's actually good and we like it but it's not where you actually need to be for this for like a national stage yeah. right. type of thing. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I would love it, but I would also, my heart is so scared. Also, Megan, you had an alternate theory for what Tom's dog was doing. Oh, well, I know that um, Gregory had posted on Instagram about um, some organizing he was doing uh, for cooking meals um, for uh, people who have been displaced by fires and for uh, the firefighters. And um, oh, very so I wasn't cool. sure if maybe Tom had come uh, to help with that, but. That would yeah. be very cool. We don't we don't that, have evidence yeah. of that but from I, the dogs. I did but. some looking on uh, Tom's dog. It doesn't post often to Instagram, <laughs> so it's hard to tell. Uh, yeah, you know what exactly? What yeah, is. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I appreciate that. We'll keep looking out. And then we have one more email this week, which is from it's from you, Kyle. Kyle sent us an email a couple weeks back um, with an article from the New Yorker about Nina mm. and her childhood and her life after Top Chef and how she's handling the current crisis and. In all honesty, you guys, my dad sent me this article before that, and I didn't read it then either, because New Yorker articles are very long. I don't know if you guys know that about them. They're very long, and I'm I'm shit at reading, so I didn't read it either time, but then my dad sent me another New Yorker Top Chef article yesterday, and so I just set aside 
nine hours and I read both of them and now I can talk uh, about them. Yeah. So the Nina article is so good. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't want to bring it up on the show so that I could talk about how I hadn't read it yet. But now I'm like, I can actually, now I want you guys to talk more about it. Cause I am like, now I'm caught up. <laughs> Reading is so hard. You guys, you don't give, you don't acknowledge this. That for some people, it's just not as easy. It doesn't come as easy. Mm. Um, who's got that it's just so much time I I don't want to be insensitive to people who have a hard time reading but Alex you're the host of a podcast there's some things that are sort of expected of you I mean reading is something to be plugged into in this modern modern information economy I think it only took me three weeks to read your article I did it though I mean it took you it took you less than that to watch Emily Blunt as as a pony singing so I'm just priorities i guess oh yeah i remember when you sent us that that was weird um uh oh yeah because we we're talking about villain songs that's what that was about um yeah i but new yorker articles are so long anyway the article about about nina is great um and you should definitely check it out we'll have i'll have the links to these in the show notes but um uh some some fun facts from the new some some interesting facts from the new article that, just to look out for um reading about her two restaurants in new orleans was really awesome because i did not i guess i didn't actually know how well she was doing post top chef but well, she... that happened after top chef that was the thing that was very fascinating yeah. is that she had cooked in miami uh and then got on the show and somehow being on top chef made her fall in love with new orleans which like i would yeah shocked if anyone on this season fell in love with Seattle after being on the season. oh my gosh <laughs> i think the olive eight is a tool yeah. that nobody has used to woo anyone about anything <laughs> oh man what terrible portland condo would they put people in um anyway yeah uh yeah she fell in love with new orleans and then so she got a ton of restaurant offers from 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 money bags's after her top chef appearance and settled on this one in New Orleans. And then in a city that has like so much food tradition and is hard to break into, her restaurant is amazing and people loved it. And so that was that that journey. And it actually the article suggested that um, getting robbed of winning may have actually helped her more than had she won the season. Mm, right. Because mm-hmm. it made people want to support her in a way. Yeah. That, you know, if, yeah. you, if you are perceived as having just won a big mug of money, you might be a Which little I don't more think like happened to Stefan, despite him telling us that it did. I feel like her outpouring of getting robbed is much worse than his. Um, yes. But yeah, it's su- super duper interesting. It also talks a lot about um, uh, about how TV in comparison to uh, the actual restaurant industry works in giving opportunities to women and, and chefs of color. And it was super interesting read. Um, it's a New Yorker, uh, a New Orleans chef navigates disaster. Um, and also, I would like to read an equally long article about how Nicholas Elemy is sad. I want the inverse about how badly he's done since that season. It would make me very happy. I guess something that I think... I don't wish... Uh, I, I, mean, I, don't wish. Right I want him to be sad. No one is happy right now, Alex. I think That's you just assume... Right, perfect. You don't have to read an article. To make, like, yeah. Picture whoever you like. They are sad right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like I've read a glut of articles in this time about the realities of running a restaurant normally and how much like it's an even sharper relief when you're in this situation we are all in now and just how financially difficult it is and how like, I don't know, on this on this episode, I was really struck when Wolfgang Puck pointed out that he has like 70 restaurants. Jesus Christ. And I was like, that's because your margins are whispers and the way to make money is to have a 
bajillion of these things. And like, also in his case, it's because he'll put his name food. on literally anything. But yeah, right. That's what I'm saying, though, is like, that's how you make money. Like running a restaurant is not going to put you in the black. It just isn't. Yeah. Even if people really, 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 really like your restaurant. Like, yeah, there is a problem at the core of this. And it is that like, this is not a financially feasible game. And I think there's something about like, in a way, the way that we present all these chefs on this show that's like the goal is you get a restaurant and it's like, wait, no. the goal is you get a money bonfire at the end of this. Like we'll give you a quarter of a million dollars to start your own personal money bonfire. Like what? You like, can throw it, just it away. Yeah. It's wild. It's a real it's life so wild. It is like the farm game. It's exactly like the farm game. Yeah. You, you work yourself to the bone for no money so that you can continue to work to the bone for no money. And uh, I don't, yeah. and I don't mean to imply because capitalism is, is a problem. I don't mean to imply that money is the end of everything, but I do think that there is this weird perception of like fame and riches and comfort will be yours. If only you can run a restaurant and like, right. That's just not what's going on in any of these people's reality, you know? That's and such I, a good point. I, it's just, it's, it's something I think about a lot now. So there's that. Um, one of the one of the articles like this that I read about this described it really well, which is like basically you're in a manufacturing industry where you're taking products and and manufacturing them into other products, except your products go bad in 24 hours, mm-hmm. and what people want to buy in terms of products changes every couple weeks. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> such right. a crazy industry to be in. Yeah, and you're uh, beholden to Yelp.com. Oh my god, yeah. I'm mad about exactly. it too. Uh, That's how I mad. also feel about Yelp.com. <laughs> okay, uh, so then go, taking the clock back further, my dad also sent me a 2008 New Yorker article called Sharper, which is about Bob Kramer, Master Bladesmith from last week. Hemp and, Man! Hey, Steve Falcone with the links! I know. my He's so great. Uh, and this is, from, this is an old article, and he's like, when he, when he heard us talking about Bob Kramer, he was like, I know more about this guy. Why do I know so much about this guy? And then he pulled it up. Uh. Um, so it turns out we were kind of making fun of the term master bladesmith because it sounds ridiculous, but it is so impressive to become that. It's so hard. Is this and like the sommelier thing where like getting from level two to level three takes you an entire lifetime? It is like that. And there's like, there's this a small committee that meets once a year for you to do this test. And the test is insane where it's like you have to bring five blades and then they'll get, choose one of your five blades and you have to cut a bunch of really gnarly stuff really fast and then use it to shave your arm hair what? and then cut. I know they're yeah. weird men. Um, and then you I'm have upset. to cut. Wait, and then you have to, and what if you don't have arm hair, man, it's a great, maybe you could bring in a model like a, a barber school, but it has but, to be a member of your family because there's something about like <laughs> your blood being at risk. <laughs> and then they have to like be able to put the knife in a vice and bend it 90 degrees and have it not break and also not bend back. Like it's oh, that thing we so all do with knives. <laughs> well, so it's not just about the sharpness of the knife. It's also about the way you, the chemical makeup of the steel you use. Cause they're all doing their own blacksmithing of their own steel uh, thing. Anyway, if you want to know, if you want 10,000 words about how steel works and how knives sharpen and don't sharpen and the difference between Japanese Honestly, knives and American yes. knives, it's, I know I, it's very good. So set aside a day and read this article from 2008 about <laughs> Bob Kramer, master bladesmith. I r- highly recommend I'm it. I'm just really struck by like to become a master bladesmith. You go through all this test. And then like the final thing is you have to murder your knife by bending. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What is it? It's a Latin Kings, right? Is but it, then is if that? you refuse to murder your knife, then you secretly win because oh, that yeah. means okay. you cared about your knife the most. <laughs> a boy caretaker. 
the garden. I think that they can make more knives. Um, but I guess that's well, kind of the whole point. Also, that yeah, there's a there's another like part that's running through this theme running through this article where he he's a handmade knife guy, and then he got this contract with Sir Latab, and basically just oh, was so furious that's about how they did that. Right, and so he's like flying to this factory in Japan where they're hand finishing the knives for Sir Latab for him, and he hates how they're doing it, and is like trying to get them to do this extra work, and they're like, "That's too expensive; it's not worth it." Anyway, this is a very interesting process. So I, you'll learn way more about the way the edge of steel hones and and stands up. Anyway, it's great, really interesting. Right, also, he used right. to be an improviser and, and a circus clown. Oh, of course, no. he is. That doesn't surprise me <laughs> one iota. <laughs> I don't want to become a knife person. <laughs> you have to now. I feel like this just like that's a window. Sarah, you into, have to cut like, off your own arm here now. <laughs> With a chef's knife. That's uh, anyway. yeah. Haven't you seen that every professional improviser actually just is missing a patch of arm hair? <laughs> I have noticed that, but I didn't think it was polite to ask. <laughs> they're like cyclists, where they're like they want to be air resist, no air resistance when they're improvising. Yeah, it's funny. Have you ever noticed hair? <laughs> Have you ever noticed that the worst dinner parties you go to always end with people cutting hemp ropes oh. with knives? <laughs> it's either that or uh, backlining. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, I uh, uh, we really do talk about this TV show, don't we? We, you know, this is the end portion. This is a good time to be off on a tangent. Um, so anyway, those are all in the show notes at packyourmics.com. You can also send us long articles for me to eventually look at. Uh, by sending it to mailbag at packyourmics.com as well as on Facebook and Twitter. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week in a more dis- distraught fashion as we talk about the uh, restaurant wars uh, and how that turns out. Uh, join us for that and get your thoughts in on our social and on, on email. And um, Chris, bad news. What? Look, uh, we have a model already for what really good raw podcasting is like. Ugh. And you haven't added anything to that. But I haven't overcooked anything. Else. <laughs> that would have been such a great response. That's such a good. Anyway, Chris, get out of here. Uh, pack your mic, stay home. <laughs> uh, go kill your thirst with fire or something. Um, we're going to be back back later. Thanks so much for everybody for listening. Okay. Say goodbye to people. Uh, bye, uh, Sarah and Kyle. Thanks for hanging out. Goodbye. Bye for fighting through our tech problems and making it work um thanks for joining us chris and tanya what a fun surprise yeah woohoo hello goodbye oh. <laughs> and i as- think you meant aloha <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, now i'm confused as to what you meant uh ez and sarah thanks for joining us yeah yep um and uh megan hello or goodbye <laughs> <laughs> aloha to you as well we'll talk to everybody next week take care bye <laughs>